0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Back to Self Show. Last week we had on the incredible founders of Eric Festival, Sam Hornsby and May Yip. I said it at the time and I say it again now, I think they might be the most natural entrepreneurs that I've ever met. Everything they do just seems to be best practice and they absolutely smash it out of the park when they do. I love it. The key message that I took away from there was, it genuinely doesn't matter about your background or where you come from or your qualifications or anything. It's just what are you most passionate about? And I know it sounds like a huge cliche and I hate those, but there is so much truth in that. And listen to the show because it gives you a practical example of how that actually is the case and why it works for them. I really love their story. Definitely tune in. Now, after the show, actually, I, um, for my own company, Stakester, I spent some time with um, with Sam and May because we're hiring a social media manager and I don't know, being a I'm a millennial and I don't necessarily know how to articulate our values to someone who's Gen Z. And I asked them for some advice. They're really helpful. But that got me thinking. It got me thinking about advisors as a startup because it's something that you see a lot on pitch decks, and I see them when I get them through, and people talk about them a lot, about we have this advisor, that advisor, and we've hired them before with my previous company. And I don't really know what the best practice is. I don't really know what is the right mold for an advisor that you take on. You know, should you be giving them equity? Should you be doing it? I mean, I don't know. And weirdly, I've also been getting a few in, emails um, to the show asking those same questions. So not this week, but next week, we have someone coming on the show who, from my experience, might actually be one of the best advisors out there and the perfect fit. So tune into that definitely. It should be a good one. This week on the show was a direct response to some emails that I was getting in asking about what is the best practice for building your product if you're a startup. If you are backing yourself to go out and build something and go and make something work, you're going to have to build a product. But what is the best practice? How do you stop wasting money or building things that people don't want? How do you do that? And all of the investors we have on here always say, build something your customers want. But let's get a little bit into the detail practically about how you actually do that. So I am so pumped to have this guy on. It's Anthony Rose. He used to be the head of iPlayer, and he's now runs his own company called Seed Legals, which is absolutely incredible. Now, I'm I'm not. I don't have any sponsors on the show, so I'm just going to give him a shout out personally because I use Seed Legals. So when you start a company, there are a lot of things that you need to have in place, whether it's like NDAs or uh, employment contracts or shareholders agreements, all this kind of stuff. And you've got no idea how to do it. And also, when you go for a funding round, and I'm telling you I've been through them, they are quite legal intensive. So what Seed Legals did was they set up a repository, which digitizes the whole process, makes it super easy, keeps it in one place. It's wizard-led. I cannot tell you how intuitive the UI is, and I absolutely love it. And they've got some really exciting news, actually. I know they're now launching in Ireland. They've also now they do data privacy as well, which is incredible. And another area which definitely needs some help. Um, and so what they do is they really help you to accelerate your funding round, which as a startup, when you're in early stage, that's what you want. Time is the enemy. You, you need that. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. Um, definitely send your comments afterwards. It gives feedback. And I thank you so much for all the kind words and the people who've emailed in with questions and, and feedback. I really love it. Please keep doing that. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Thomas Ferry at LinkedIn, or you can also drop me an email at the pod, pod at Stakester.com or you can just drop me something on Twitter as well. Um, It's at BackYourselfPod, at BackYourselfPod. This is a really great episode. Definitely take a listen. I really hope you enjoy it. And uh, make sure to subscribe. (laughs) Anthony, welcome so much for coming on the show. Thank you. So... Here we are, we're here for the early stages, okay? And we have, as the show sounds, a really basic principle. That is, we believe that people should back themselves. If you have a great idea, you understand a problem, and you think you can make the world better, go out and do it. Back yourself to go and do it. Control your own destiny. I believe that everyone should do that. And so we invite people on, like yourself, people who are founders, investors, people in that startup community to share their stories and their advice to help other people do the same. Simple as that. That's the concept. Um, I know that you have been through quite an incredible journey, done some amazing stuff, and I love what you're doing today. Um, and I want to hear about this. First of all, imagine we're on a first date. Tell me
1: who are you? What do you do? So hi, I'm Anthony Rose. I'm founder, co-founder, and CEO at Seed Legals. If you're looking to do a funding round, do not go to a law firm. Seed Legals <laughs> is the place. We have 40 people now. Closed our Series A. More than 12,000 UK companies on Seed Legals, uh, wow. and we think uh, one in 12 or so early stage funding rounds in the UK is now on Seed Legals. Uh, before you talk to investors, you'll want to get your SEIS and EIS sorted. That fuels UK early stage investments. We think about ten percent of all SEIS is now done through Seed Legal, so it's the new place to go to build your company.
0: Amazing! So many things that I want to cover, and I'll cover yep. those a little bit later on. Particularly things around you know, what is SEIS, what is EIS, what's we'll what can, yeah, what yeah. kind of fund around. So to your background, like you didn't just fall into starting. Celio, are you are you a lawyer? Are you a techie? What happened?
1: Good question. People often ask that. So, years ago, I uh, studied le- electrical engineering built my own electronics company that morphed into real-time 3D graphics, that morphed into I was living in Australia, I was hired by the BBC to head up bbc iplayer Uh, they called me i said uh, bbc where the stock options but i was uh, (laughs) enthused moved over to london headed up iplayer for three years after that i decided it was time for startup time again built a startup sold it built another startup sold it invested in a few got tired of paying lawyers met my uh, business partner, Laurent Laffie, an ex-VC and serial angel investor. And he was saying, those lawyers, they make mistakes. They take forever. They charge a fortune. We should change it. And he'd been working on this problem for about six months. After we met at a party, he gave me the results of his work, which was a 49,000 line spreadsheet. And he said, can you build this? And I went, there are two problems. One, I just can't build it. It's way too complicated. And even if I could, no one would ever use our product. It's far too complicated. So I need to tell you three letters, M, V, and P. (laughs) Um, And uh, let's slim it down. And that's how we got started. That was about uh, three and a half years ago. And we've been live for about uh, two and a three quarter years now.
0: That's a really good, interesting story. So you, um, let me take a step back to the bit that I'm particularly interested in, because I'm always fascinated about that inception point where someone says, so you're at iPlayer, okay, and there yep. are a lot of people listening to this who have good jobs. Yes. And typically, founders tend to have pretty good jobs before they start. They're usually yeah. quite successful people anyway. I've been the head of iPlayer as a techie sounds like a pretty much of a dream gig. So what made you think, actually, do you know what? I'm going to do something different. And was it something different or was it something
1: s- synonymous? What was it, what was it? What was it? Well, my salary made it to page three of The Times, and it was time to move on and do you, something you, different. <laughs> oh, you got, you're one of them, were you? One of, well, almost one of them. I, it's a long story, but I wasn't. It hurts. But, but it and no one wants that, right? It was time to move on and do my own thing. Sure. And, uh, you know, it was nice also, I think, with iPlayer, we delivered success. And sometimes you look to do something else. I think uh, one of the interesting things, uh, which I think key is actually to when I see startups and when I see founders, you have a mission to do something. Yeah. And uh, as a slight deviation from where we've been talking about, when I hear founders, so, of course, my own journey has been very helpful in helping me be more experienced. But I think what's even more helpful is I talk to many founders every day. So thanks to Seed Legals, there are lots of people. We talk to them personally. And you can then try and see from the person's mannerisms, their enthusiasm, um, and the thing they're looking to achieve, you can try and guess yourself how successful or not it might be. And I think things that I see as uh, indications of success – Is when someone has an idea that will have a real utility use case, as opposed to an idea that would change the world for the better. So let me explain. Please do. So um, sometimes a founder will come along and say, I've got, you know, wouldn't it be great if people didn't throw away as much food or something like that? And we all agree that the world will be better for it but the problem is who's going to buy that how do you convince people as opposed to i found a way that helps you save money do x mm. and i will build it so in your mind uh, you've got a vision and the vision is usually something that's you know for good or for change um But just persuading people to change behavior is non-trivial. They were happy with their previous way, or maybe they were unhappy with the previous way. What will they do tomorrow to change their behavior? And the problem I see is that people perceive the difficulty with a new venture is building the proposition. But actually, thanks to web services and AWS and things like that, building it is actually the easy part. Having people want to use it is the difficult part. Mm. And the real problem you have as a founder is that uh, it starts as a hobby. You have this idea. We'll pick, let's say, an amazing new bicycle lock that uh, Wi-Fi enabled, of course, GPS, naturally. will find your bike if it's lost There's anywhere. There's not enough smart locks. <laughs> exactly. It will find your bike if it's lost anywhere in London. And your bike's been stolen a couple of times because all founders, you know, start with some personal uh, problems to solve. And you now obsess that everyone's going to want this lock. And so you think the difficulty is going to be building it. But in fact, cut to reality is you raise some money from friends and family and angels, which is now super easy to do you build it, and now you discover the real problem is people aren't buying it. And how do you solve that problem? And this is the worst problem to have because if you discover very early on you can't build it or you do some user testing and no one wants it, you fail fast and just have another idea. If you haven't spent any money on it, you can have an idea while you're jogging and give up on it. You can spend a bit of money and give up on it. But the problem is as the founder, you've inspired people to leave their day jobs. Come with me on this mission. Isn't this an awesome thing? Yes, no one's got it yet, but you know we're going to change it. It's going to disrupt the space. And now you persuade people to leave their day jobs. You persuade investors to invest. You've raised a few hundred thousand pounds. Um, and now you've built it, but there's no traction. And this is really worrying because you just you are stuck in a place where you don't know what the answer is to that problem. You've built something, you think you've delivered the dream, but somehow, you know, sales aren't up month on month or people just aren't using it or there's no viral play. And now you see yourself going to run out of money And now you have to persuade investors to invest further, or you need to fold the business, or you need to work with the team to change something. But you don't know what to change. You've got all these variables. Is it another product feature you need to add? Do you need to find a new audience? Are you marketing the wrong way? Do you have to spend more on marketing? If only more people knew about it, sales would suddenly or usage would suddenly take off. And the problem is, I think uh, many founders are technical and with technical problems, there is a path, sometimes a difficult one, to a solution. But I know I have to build this and this and this. But when you don't have product market fit, as it's called, mm. and people aren't using your products, it the the really frustrating thing is you don't know what to do to fix that problem. You know, uh do I need to market more? You know, is is it a technical thing? Is it a pricing thing? Which variables can you change? Mm. And, of course, you can change things. We all know about move fast, break things, be agile. But if you've only got a certain amount of runway before you run out of money, you can only make so many changes before you hit the end. Yeah. So what do you do? And that's, And, and so if you find yourself in that position, then the question, and to come back to maybe... Something we didn't quite cover, but I think we should cover, is um how do you avoid that uh bad place to be upfront? And the way to avoid it is to try and do user testing and validation before you build anything.
0: So how do you do that? I mean, so look, I <clears throat> there are people listening to who absolutely get that. I think, and I I firmly believe there is a real problem in um certainly in the startup space where there are and people might want to kick me in the face for this, but go for it, that there are too many technical founders on right. their own. There's too many people who think, and I've been there, I've been pitched to as an independent investor. People who say, Tom, the tech will sell itself. It's like, this is going to change the way X happens. or And I and I just don't believe it. People should be focusing. I, I believe, I don't know how you feel, and tell me if I'm wrong here, it should be 50-50. 50% product, 50% traction. That's where you spend your time and your money because if you aren't getting traction, you haven't got the right product. It's a it's a massive issue. Right. But how do you, how do you, what's the best practice there? You see so many companies, as you said, coming sure. through seed legals. Like so many. And how do, how do companies, people listening, how do they, or the the techie founders, or you get sales founders as well, who just push it really hard and market it, but they're selling something that ultimately isn't going to work and it's going to break. They get a bad reputation. What, What is best practice? How do I get, you said there about getting some evidence or market testing really early on?
1: Like, okay. Sure. So it sounds easy, but of course, realistically, um, what you'd like to have is show something to somebody before you've built it and then see if they want it. That saves you all the trouble of building it um, I love that. B- before. So the question, I mean, it's non-trivial because, you know, you, you, uh, if you haven't built it, how do you get a proper answer from somebody? So uh, firstly, I don't know the answer. Beyond that, there are a few things that you might use. So one of them is, I think, the commonly called fake it till you make it. So often uh, I'll see a company, for example, hiring AI scientists. They're expensive. You need many of them. It's going to cost a fortune. They're going to do all this AI. But actually, you can fake it till you make it. So imagine you just put up a website and the AI is going to do something amazing before you've got the AI, ah, just get three people, get some interns to do it. It's not going to scale, but you can see if no one's buying it with, you know, a few people for almost no money manually doing it, don't go the next step. So we see legals. My fake it till you make it moment was we had to build this super sophisticated document automation platform. We ask you all your deal terms and the system over a, more than a thousand conditionals builds your shells agreement, term sheet, articles, and more. This is a lot of work. How did I know that people would actually want this? Maybe I would build all this stuff, and then everyone would say, no, my lawyer insists on doing this. I just can't use you. So, my of course, I couldn't give people MVP legal documents. You couldn't have like a beta version of a legal document. That wasn't going to work. So, what I did is we created the front-end website, which looked like the final products but actually it was our team and our internal chief legal officer mostly hand drafting things till we figured out what people really wanted so our discussion was you know customers happy we've done the deal this is insane it's killing us we can't sleep <laughs> we don't want more customers dude tech team we need to build this now because we found a yeah, real need yeah. so thing one is fake it so you make it so see yeah. what you can do manually before you build lots of tech,
0: I love that we had a we've got um, a group of guys here from a company called Switched, and they do um, um, it's kind of save you money in an automated fashion on your bills. Right. So you pay them a subscription, and they automatically find you the best deal and change right. it. And when they first started out to get there, and I, it's exactly what you're saying. That's why I completely agree. They they gave, put up a mailing list on their website, sign up, and then they were like, "We've got software." Actually, no, the co-founders are manually doing it to test if it works rather than spending 200 grand building this amazing product. We're like, well, let's see if it works. And it's like, oh, actually, people don't like that. Right. Lucky. It's much easier for me to change it on my own spreadsheet than it is for me to go and get my dev team in Belarus to go and fix this for me. That's right. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely buy into that. So the advice there, I think, to our people listening is do it yourself to begin with. Test it, test it, test it.
1: Yes, I think the other thing is people perceive building it is success. But actually what I've discovered is building stuff is the failure to not have to build stuff. Stuff that you don't want to tell your tech team, but what wouldn't it be all this effort and money you're putting in to build things, what if you could get the result with building less? So once upon a time you had to write all the code yourself. Now there's open source, so you try to use open source you do have to have physical servers now you outsource that but what if you could try your goal should always be to try and provide the consumer your customer with a solution with building less and you only build more to reduce your cost of transaction once you've got some traction so another thing and then i'll get on to some of the scaling pieces um another thing is Don't build anything till you've worked out that people really want it. And my favorite example, back in my BBC days, my competitor, so to speak, was ITV. And one day they announced they were building a paid download service. So you could go to the ITV site and you could click a button to download and pay for Downton Abbey or whatever. And they decided, no doubt, that in the days of Netflix and TV advertising, they needed a new model of paid downloads. And I'm sure they surveyed some people. But literally, so far as I know, they spent over a million pounds developing it. Twelve to eighteen months. It lasted for about four months till they pulled the plug because mm. no one clicked the download button, oh the gosh. buy button. And so, what could they have done differently? And what they could have done differently is on their website for the total cost of twelve pounds fifty. Put a buy button, and if you click it, it will say, thanks for pushing this button. If enough people push this, we'll go build the product. So think about a total mindset inversion, which is look to provide the outcome without building it, and even before that, look to see, will anyone even want it if you click on it? And then you might start you know, doing it manually. But they could have just put a button there, and if no one clicked the button, then they wouldn't have bothered wasting 12 months and a million yeah. pounds building it. And I always then look for signals when I see that someone's jumped straight to the build before the validate. So I when we started C-Legals, I figured I, I'm into this user testing. I tell people to do it. I should do it myself. So uh, one of the most difficult things when you start is picking a name. You know, domain names, everything's taken. Between that and trademarks. So... I kept it about 1 a.m. having this fantastic idea. I'd buy it on GoDaddy. Um, I amassed about 30 different domain names. Cush it, cush it and it. then in the morning, I'd tell, you know, the team being like three people at a time, hey, I bought XYZ. And they would go, that's a really crap name. No way. Yeah. exactly, so yeah. I figured I should do some user testing. So we were at a workspace, a sort of shared uh, work uh, place. So I, uh, went to the local cafe and I said, if people come by with this little card, they get a free coffee on me. And then I went round to all the companies that were uh, hot desking and I had printed out an A4 piece of paper with all the names that I thought of. And I had these genius names of Claws.com and Lex Marta and Doc Motion and others which I thought were amazing. <laughs> and there was C Legals on there as well. And then I said, you know, if you were looking to do a funding round, which of these might you look to go to? And they went too complicated, sounds difficult, sounds scary. Seed Legals, oh, I know what you guys do. Yeah. And when the second person said, I know what you guys do, I thought, that's amazing. I haven't even built anything. I don't even know what I'm doing, but it sounds like it. So, of course, you get a particular result by asking a particular audience, which is super important. So because I asked early stage companies, super early stage, you know, I got a name of Seed Legals, had I asked... You know, in the city, they would probably not have said "see legals." They'd have called it something else. But yeah. but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so picking which is the next thing, which is pick the right audience to ask. And there's a wonderful book called The Mom Test. It's like ten pounds on Amazon. The whole thing takes like two hours to read, and it's called the Mom Test because the idea is before you build something, you need to go out and ask people. And the problem is you ask your mother and you say, hey, mom, I've got amazing, you know, Wi-Fi enabled GPS bicycle lock with tracking and an app. And your mother knows nothing about this, but she thinks my son is such a clever boy. Of course, it's a good idea. So what happens is you ask the wrong people or you ask the wrong question. I might say, hey, Imagine that there was this amazing device that tracked your bike if ever it got stolen, and you'd go and you'd go, "Is it a good idea?" And of course, you're going to say it's a good idea, a because you didn't want to offend me, and b because of the way I've asked the question, it sounds awesome. But I haven't told you the price, I haven't told you the battery loss for yeah, two days. If you park yeah. it under a bridge, it won't work. You know, whatever yeah, yeah. it might be. So, what you want to do is you want to find the real audience. And then ask them questions like, have you ever looked for this type of product before? How much would you pay for this product? Do you, are you aware of any competitors? And if it turns out they've never looked for it, there are two possibilities. Either it's really revolutionary or more likely you found um, something that's not a real need, uh, a vanity need. I would love it that the world – and that comes back to the world. Wouldn't it be great if the world was better place? people will behave in this way. We all agree we want to behave in a particular way. But are we actually spending our time, money and effort finding something to do that? And the answer is, it's quite rare. Yeah. Whereas if you find something where there's a pain point that a, a person has, um, and ideally, the pain point is they can't go past go without doing something as opposed to persuading them to change electrical provider or electricity provider mm-hmm. every month you're you're annoyed but will you ever change no yeah so for example the funding round you just don't do a funding round until you've got legals you either have to pay lots of money to a lawyer or have heard about us and see we have a better service so in a sense it's uh you know position to be utility and a pain point utility and i think those are ones that have the highest uh you know potential traction and growth
0: that's a really interesting point you make there i think so that Actually leads me quite nicely onto my next question. You, how many people
1: did you deal with a year on Seed Legals? Oh, um, well, we've got about 12,000 companies, right? Um, we have at least a hundred customer uh, interactions personally, ourselves, with the team per day. So, thousands so you so you're, a
0: you're, yeah. you're more in touch with startups than any fund or accelerator could ever be. You have to, Absolutely. And, and look, I'm yes. a customer, I know I yeah. spoke to your guy. On day one, when we set up, he asked me a lot of questions about my business. He made me feel very special, good customer service, high five. But you must, for that, that, that you must create a really sort of encyclopedic knowledge of startups about what works and doesn't. So I'm going to ask you three questions in a row here, but so one for each. Firstly, is there a consistent variable that you see with the companies that come to you on day one
1: and are still there in three years time? There are no clear indicators, but to me, a few things jump out. So number one is, is it run like a military operation? So, you know, you, you start off as a startup, you have some other day job, and then you have an idea, you're in the bath, you're running, whatever. you have ideas – And, of course, you don't stop what you're doing on day one. The idea is going to just date and you're going to find a co-founder and you're going to figure out if you can build it it, and you're going to do some testing. Um, But at some point it stops being a hobby and starts being a real thing. So key indicator number one is when I find a founder that's laser-focused, everything they're doing is they've worked out the key things to make this a success and they're cutting out all of the other noise. So noise is... Should I incorporate in Delaware because maybe it will be bigger in the US later? It's like, well, you can work on, you can spend six months figuring out how to incorporate in Delaware and spend $50,000 on that exercise, or you can just spend six months building your products and focus on that. At the end of six months, either you'll have a Delaware company and no products, or you'll have figured out whether you have a product or not. So anything that is not connected with Having built something that people want should be discarded, and that leads to indicator number two. Sorry, on on the military operation, it's whether it's team hires, it's on finding office space, you know, everything that when we look back, did we do things that were optimized for success or for the wrong reasons? Hey, if we find an office space out in, you know, NWF, 73, we will save 85 pounds a month in office space. Like, great, but VCs aren't going to visit you there. You're much better off if you're focused and you look back and you've raised 3 million pounds. But retrospectively, these would probably have been the steps. Talent doesn't travel. Right, well, it's yeah. talent and other things. Yeah. Thing number two that I look for is uh, focusing on one thing and one thing only. So, too often I see a pitch deck and people perceive that investors want you to deliver a big vision. And the problem is, I think if you read TechCrunch and look at Sequoia and so on, that might be the case. In the UK... A good
0: way to have bad business advice is read TechCrunch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we'll get to valuations in a moment. So um, the problem is UK investors, in my view, like to see the company reach profitability perhaps after the next round. What they don't want to see is an infinite sink of money that dilutes them and eventually they have nothing.
0: Do you think it's the same the other way as well? Do you think that people don't want to see you make profit until that round? Because that's something I think that's an interesting question which I ask people and I get mixed views because sometimes I don't think, this is my experience of working with VCs and also talking on this show. VCs don't always want to see if you go in and say yeah. I'm going to be cash generative as sure. soon as you take your money, they might be thinking, well, actually, maybe you're not growing fast enough. Right? Maybe if you're taking pre-seed now, maybe we want to see you sure. do that at your
1: seed round. Sure. So I think it's important to understand, and when you do, then everything plays out differently. You've got two quite distinct goals. Goal primary goal is to grow a vibrant business with people and whatever your metrics are, revenue, customers, users, whatever it might be. That is your laser-focused mission. But you can't get to that end goal without a first goal of getting some investment, unless you can fund it yourself. So you've got a separate goal, which you need to keep quite distinct in your head, of being interesting to investors. And interesting to investors doesn't fully align with the business. So for a business, you might want to be profitable very quickly, and you might want to grow organically. So you don't need to raise investment, but telling an investor, after I've raised money with you, I never need to raise again. For them, that's a bad outcome because they never get, for an investor, they want to sell their shares and get a multiple on their investment. If you are cash flow positive and happily growing the company 25% year on year, companies making money, founders are paying themselves, for founders, this is Nirvana. You're your own boss. You've got a dream gig. You've got the team. You've got a, at some point, reasonable salary. But for the investor, there's nothing in it for them. So the investor wants something more ambitious than that. Yeah, sure. The question is, how ambitious? And there, I think founders fall into a trap. And the trap is, firstly, Putting so much in the pitch deck that for an investor, they just see, dude, there's no way you're going to build all this shit. You're going to run out of money first. And two, not keeping in their minds two goals. One, I want to entice an investor with a vision. But two, I only have four people. I can't build all these things right now. So one of the red flags for me is when I see a pitch deck and I see the company. They're going to do a B2C proposition. They're going to do a B2B. They're going to sell data. They're going to put it on the blockchain. They're (laughs) going to expand into other territories. And I go, This is awesome. How many people are you? You know, if the answer is less than 50, something's wrong. They go, Oh, it's like three of us. And then I, you know, would explain if I'm talking to the person that in your run it like a military operation, if you are trying to do four things and your competitor is doing one, They've got four x the resources to put on that one thing. So what you really want to do is you want to focus on where's your key uh, driver. It could be for your mission that it's something you really want. So it's a consumer thing, or maybe it is a B two B play. But don't, in my view, do both until way later. Separately, in your pitch deck to investors, you're never going to lie to investors because it's going to come back and haunt you. But what you're going to do is clearly show the growth, which is thing one, I'm going to deliver X. And now that's not it because that's nice but boring. And thing two, I'm going to have a B2B proposition and then it's going to be on the blockchain and then I'm going to launch it in wherever. Yeah, sure. But you're going to show the investor clearly you're going to deliver on the first and it's going to help fuel the next. And you're not just going to spend more and more money building unvalidated things until you've validated the first part. And I think keeping these dual things in your head is important, which also can be read as don't drink your own Kool-Aid. Yeah, I love that. Yeah.
0: So advice, one, so, well, the advice that I love, I think that's actually, it's definitely a poster quote from you, I know, like that, is that the sort of, if there was a defining factor, it's military focus. It's yes. about being laser focused on what you do. Yeah. In the current climate, marketing is hard, but do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would
1: mean so much.
0: That's the first question. What do you, and so does that fit into my second question is, what do you see as a common pitfall? Is that people who are not focused? People who just don't, I don't know, focus on that single goal. They try to push themselves too broad.
1: I think that's the case. The problem is, in hindsight, once you've created a few startups, it becomes much easier to see which were the wrong things to do. So a goal of a podcast like this, and what I like to do when I personally talk to people, is to go, which things you know, have we learned, or I learned personally, yes. that had, you, had I not done those... I would have gotten to, you know, success much faster or not done these stupid things or, you know, wasted months on that. And uh, I think it's very much about, you know, doing one thing, um, figuring out what success is, because often you don't really know. So, hey, I'm going to build this amazing bicycle lock. How many do you want to sell? Dude, I I mean, I don't know. Or I'm going to make the social network. How, what would be success? So if you can think about that, that, that's helpful. So yes, somebody, whatever the goal is, focus on. So I think there's another important thing, which is from uh, my observation, there are three roles that you have to fill to have a successful venture. They might map to two or even one person exceptionally, but the roles are one, there's the domain expert. So this might be the doctor who's, you know, got some dialysis solution or something like that. So they've got the problem, they've got a solution, they're the one with the vision. Separately, there's the person who's going to deliver it. And this could be the product or tech person, and that usually maps to the CTO role. Without this person, you're going to continue to have a vision and never ship anything. And the third one is the Mr. or Ms. Money. Somebody's going to help fund it. And that corresponds to the COO, CFO kind of role later. And now, if you see that that's the case, I think you need, firstly, all three of these roles. Um, without a vision, you know, so so when I look at a founder or founding team, I will mentally try to map which of these roles they cover. Sometimes you'll find two tech founders. They clearly you're doubling up on the tech thing, but they're not, they're optimizing on tech, not what people want. Or they're so techy, which is amazing, but no one's going to fund them because they just can't get a decent slide deck together. Or you get Different role, the ex-Goldman Sachs trader who's made some money and now wants to be a founder, and that they are super good on investment, but boy, do they have no idea about tech. They're going to spend huge amounts of money building things three times and each one throwing it away and starting again because they they just can't communicate the language. So now when I see founders, I look at, of the founding team, which of these roles do they map to? And sometimes it's a single founder, and if they cover all of them, that's great. But if not, I think as a founder, you should look within mm. and you should try and find people to complement you. So, you know, yeah. at Seed at Legals, I'm not the lawyer guy. I'm the tech product guy. For years I've been building tech stuff. I love building tech stuff. It just happens that I've developed a passion for, mm. you know, the funding side of things. But my business partner is the genius at funding rounds, the mechanics of it in ways that I will never understand. Mm. We've got our chief legal officer to make it good law. And although I'm somewhat techie, less so these days, we have a CTO to build things. Putting it together, I'm the guy that tries to make things that people want. My business partner makes something the ecosystem wants and the rest of the team make it something that works and is shippable.
0: Yeah, sure. So I I absolutely agree with you. I like that. The expert the the techie, the builder, yeah. the architect. And then, so can I, can I challenge that slightly and ask you sure. a question about that? The reason sure. I say that is that one thing that you didn't cover that, well, you sort of covered it, but I think it's a core requirement is don't you need a leader. That can be one of them, but you need someone who's going to inspire and other people to come and join you on that journey, you need someone who's going to excite the investors right. and excite the team. Is that something where, so if you take, um, I mean, look, Steve Jobs was that guy. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Elon Musk is that sure. guy. Like they, they are also experts in their own area, but someone has to fill that role. And I I firmly believe that if you don't have someone in that founding team who doesn't have the charisma, like yourself, you are incredibly charismatic and articulate natural ceo you see that through and through but you're also a product guy right so did you not think that that's an
1: essential part of it as well as well as those other functional temp- you you're absolutely right it's essential i actually i didn't think about it as a role i i think you know all of the founders could do that or maybe one of them does sure. more um it's essential for two reasons one or several one you need to excite investors yeah and that is the art of the pitch uh, you need to stand on stage you need to show people that you have a vision and you can get there and with their money they will get a return Two, finding uh talent is difficult yeah. there are endless number of companies bidding for software developers in particular and so how do you attract people to want to work with you? You need to stand out. You need to cut, out, cut through the noise. And for that, well, there are many things, but one of them is going to be, you know, blog posts, getting out, uh, news about your company everywhere, a charismatic leader and so on. So, so you definitely need that. And, of course, uh, companies go through periods of growth or not growth, you know, problems, whatever it might be. So somebody – it used to be called being presidential – Unfortunately, that's not such a great term these days. <laughs> um In fact, a good leadership technique is you look at what Donald Trump does and you just do completely the opposite for absolutely <laughs> everything. And then you're set. I love that burn. It's yeah. good.
0: It's good. Um all right, so my it's um, so I'm gonna ask you one more question, and then we're gonna go into a section which I'm gonna call quick fire, where okay. I'm gonna ask you six questions, really functional ones and I want you to give a less than one minute response okay. because I'm going to cut it down and share it with people. Okay. But first of all, the last one, sort of core cool question for you. Um, the third one. So you've got the one, this is what makes it good. This is what makes it bad. Specifically, on the legal front, during a funding round or during the legal front, what is the most common Absolute fuck up you see that people make from that legal perspective? What do people forget to do? Which, if you said, if you could have one thing to say to every founder, don't forget to do this, what would it be?
1: I think when you're on Seed Legals, the platform guides you through the things that you're going to do, and we're there to help. So, I think the biggest gotchas are probably. Not related to the legals, but related to your valuation, the way you approach investors, the not chasing investors. So the idea is on seed legals, you know, we've got data, we can show you. I mean, one of the key things I've learned, which was a slight surprise, is every startup and every idea is different. But it turns out in the UK, funding rounds are remarkably self-similar. There are basically four patterns. One is a bootstrap round, raising fifty thousand pounds from friends and family and people you know, yep. giving them SEIS and EIS tax deductions. Just done one. Thing yep. two, pattern two is your standard SEIS round, raising one hundred and fifty thousand or two hundred thousand pounds. Angel investors, maybe a dozen investors, ten thousand pounds each, kind of thing, maybe a bit more. Pattern three is raising five to 700,000 pounds as a seed round with a combination of an early stage fund and angel investors. And then the last pattern is series A, raising a million or two million pounds from largely funds. And once you see that, um, actually one of my goals, I thought my goal was just to provide the legals more efficiently than it had been done in the past. But what I've realized is you know, it's a market, they're investors and they're founders. And maximum efficiency is if you help both parties understand what is the norm. And so thanks to the volume, I've now got data to show people statistically where you should end up. Because normally what would happen is you'd go to your lawyer, your lawyer would swing the pendulum insanely in your favor, they would send it to the other lawyer. The other lawyer would swing it insanely back in the other mm. part. You'd oscillate many times, yeah. paying thousands of pounds or hundreds of pounds per hour. And eventually, the pendulum statistically is going to settle in the same place. So, if I give both parties data and go to guys, you're probably going to end up here. Here's data that shows that you can, between you, you've got full transparency and you can see where you are. But chances are, on a 150K th- round, there's only a 20% chance your investor will have an investor director position. So if they ask for it, you can now tell them, look, you probably, it's not really needed here. We're better off not giving it to you now rather than in, having an emotional experience. So um, I, I completely forget where we were, but the, the yes, so the idea is the platform will guide people pretty much to do the right thing. Yep. I think where the wrong things come in I think one of the the biggest mind the gap moments is people, investors express an interest and then there's a gap between that and closing the round. So sometimes the time between someone coming to seed legals, creating a term sheet, uh, adding investors and then closing the round is weeks. That's a good sign. But if it starts dragging out into months, something is wrong. I think the founder is in a position where – They've excited interest. You can see investors getting added, removed, or something like that, or slowly getting added, but the thing never closes. And so how do you convert, hey, I love your bicycle lock, yeah, no, no, count me in, through to uh, please sign yeah. here, how much are you in for? And I think it's that bit which is closing, turning that expression of interest into a commitment and being unable to do that um, is, is one of the key problems. I think the other one very quickly is that uh, founders, and this is a key one that I always advise people when I uh, see them doing it. The problem is angel investors, you can't look them up in, you know, on the web. They don't have websites going, go here for it, but funds do. So your starting point is, I'm going to get investment from a fund. The problem is funds only invest in the UK, with rare exception, if you've built something and you have customers, and often if you have revenue as well. And if you don't, they, they tell you in a gushing way how amazing you It's awesome. I totally love what you're doing. I'm in. Come back later. And the comeback later wastes huge amount of time and actually becomes quite despondent because uh, founders don't know whether comeback later means fuck off mm. or <laughs> um, really once you've got a bit more traction, come yep. back, yep. or you're mad in the head, it's never going to work, but I don't want to be the person who didn't invest in whatever, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll be nice. But re- realistically, if you're raising less than 300,000 pounds, chances are all your investors, will substantially all, will be angel investors. And angel investors don't exist in the phone book, so you have to find them. And to do that, you're going to be completely shameless and post on LinkedIn, Facebook, email everyone you know, tell everyone you know that you're raising, and then use that angel money to then build something so that you can then go to later. So going to funds too early is, to me, whenever I see that, I I see that uh, as an indicator the person's going to be coming back six months later. And the the very last one, very quickly, is raising at too high a valuation initially. So people read TechCrunch, and we come to valuations, and they go, amazing, like 10 million. Nobody raises, I mean, very rarely do you raise in the UK first round. So my data shows people sell or give away a median of 15% equity in a round. So if you're raising 150K, chances are your pre-money valuation will be 850,000 pounds. But being facetious, what I see is things fall into bands of valuation. So a couple of founders got together, have an idea and a PowerPoint. Valuation's 300,000. You've built some prototype. Okay, the valuation's 500K. You've got some people using it, 700K. It's live and you've got a decent number of users, a million pounds. You've got revenue, even 5K a month revenue, 2 million pounds. And north of 2 million pounds, it's generally a multiple of your annual revenue. You might take 10X annual revenue as uh, valuation. So when I see people coming along and going, no, I'm going to investors at a formal valuation. I go, amazing. What have you built? And they go, no, well, we're working on it. You know, we haven't got to say. Like, They'll be back um, because the astute investor who sees many startups sees them fitting in these bands. And if you go to an investor, that most times they're seeing companies at a two mil valuation, having launched, having built something for a year, got a modest amount of revenue. It's just the beginning, but they've validated it. And you come along, and you're not there. They're going to say, "Come back later." So matching your valuation with your investor profile, angel investors, and not going and seeking funds until you've built something other than incubators and so on, uh, are the key things that I would see on the investment front.
0: It's really interesting. I appreciate that.
1: Um, and I'll be faster. Aha, right, okay.
0: okay. So I'm ask you a few questions. Um, this is basic questions about the functional side of doing around and the legal side. So. Just for the people here who are listening, who literally have no idea what they're doing. Right. First of all, what is
1: SCIS? You mentioned it a few times. And why do I need it? SCIS is an amazing thing offered in the UK by HMRC. It says, if you're an angel investor, you're investing personally, you can write off 50% of your uh, investments in this year or backdate to the previous tax year. Um, so if you invest £50,000 in a company, you can deduct £25,000 from your income tax even better, if you keep the shares for three years, then you can when if you sell them, you pay no capital gains tax, and if the company goes bang, you can also write off your investment, which you can 't. So for an angel investor, their risk turns out to be some like 13 pence in the pound or something, wow. which is amazing because and that now fuels the uk startup economy. After the company has raised more than £150,000 in SEIS, they can then raise £10 million pounds in EIS, which gives a 30%, not quite as good, but still pretty good. Pretty amazing, though. Pretty amazing. So if you want to be investable, you want to be able to offer SEIS or EIS, and you want to get your advanced assurance, which you can do on seed legals, and this means you can tell investors, I've, I can assure you that you will get it. HMRC have given me this letter. And that's often the difference between I'm in and come back later. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. And it sounds
0: absolutely amazing and essential. Um, how long does the typical funding round take at that early stage, that pre-seed?
1: It's a fascinating question. So the the legal bit of it actually turns out to be by far the shortest bit. Um, the, the longest bit is finding investors. So you might put it as a funnel, you know, I need to have a a pitch deck that is getting traction. Then I need to find sufficiently many investors and then I need to round them up and send them a term sheet and then I need to close. The, The mileage varies widely. But I think you should assume three to four months all up would be reasonable. Some people take longer and some people insanely shorter. My record is, I think, 23 hours from someone coming to see Legals at midnight on a Saturday night to investors signing 100K Get them on the show. I want to hear. It's <laughs> it's exactly. Um, but, but you might, I think, assuming three to four months would be a good starting point.
0: Okay. What's the best way to raise functionally? As in like what contract should I be doing or should I be issuing okay. shares? Do I use SeedFast and
1: ASA? Okay. So that's one of the things I love about Seed Legals, which is I thought I had one problem to solve and having solved it, I realised there's actually a meta-different problem to solve. So my initial goal was to help people do funding rounds. A funding round is you line up lots of investors who are going to leave on the bus to go on holiday together. So the bus only can leave when they're all Lined up and the bus is full, so I'm going to raise 200k. I need to find 10 investors at 10, 15k each or whatever. I create a term sheet. They all sign the term sheet. They sign a shells agreement. We update the articles. The bus goes. Job done. Repeat in 12 to 18 months. But why do you have to do that in the first place? Because the reality is, you never have 12 investors together. You find one person who goes, "Hey, I love what you're doing. Can I invest 10k at a party?" And you have to go come back in April, wouldn't it be great if you go, wait, I can take your money now. So there was something called an advanced subscription agreement. We didn't invent it, but we productized it. and We called it a seed fast. And a seed fast means an investor can give you money now individually, which will convert into shares when you do your next funding round at a valuation to be determined later. So for the company, you can get money now to Build stuff to increase the valuation to give away less equity. And for that investor, you're going to offer them a 10 or 15 or 20% discount to entice them. And if things don't go well and you'd never do a funding round, it still converts anyway. And it's SEIS compliant. And that, it. sounds like the absolute dream. And that together with our rolling close round has changed everything. So if you go to the Sea Legal's website and resources deal data, there's an article on agile fundraising. And I'm enormously proud that not only have we sort of helped companies raise the way we thought, but if you look at the graph between 2018 and 2019, companies on the platform have completely changed the way they raise investment. They're now raising more outside of rounds then in rounds. Mm. And it's completely transformed. The yeah. Every 12 to 18 months, it's go big or go bust into, I need some money. I've got an interested investor. What do I do? Yeah. And I have my favorite founder at the moment is... Tom Ferry. Every, uh, no, <laughs> my favorite founder with Seedfast is on Seed Legals, and I think every Sunday night does like another four. And I'm convinced she goes to parties or something on the weekend. And the you know every question is, um, <laughs> would you like to invest? What's your email address? I'll send you a Seedfast this it. weekend. She's it. done like seventy of them wow. for anywhere from five hundred pounds to five thousand pounds, raising two hundred k over some months and then that will all convert in a much bigger round soon Amazing. and instead of spending months doing nothing she can actually grow the business in between
0: I get it last one yep um, interested to get your view you're a guy who invests you're a guy who's been invested in you're a guy who helps people deal with that investment round someone who is listening right now will be in a situation where they've got a great idea they're ready to go they need to go and raise some money where do they go what, how, how do I find these mystical angels who are going to give me money to realise my dream and I'm going to help them realise right. their investment dreams? Where do
1: I go? What do I, how do I find these people? Right. So this is unfortunately the number one question that I'm currently unable to solve, but okay. I think it goes as follows. Um, If it's early stage, don't waste your time talking to funds. Okay, sure, maybe go pitch a few funds. You're going to get some feedback um, and you're going to learn whether it's worth spending time with funds. The most uh, efficient way of raising capital, the least lowest cost of capital is to find angel investors yourself. So you want to find people yourself, which means you're not paying anyone else to do it. Angel investors are looking for their SEIS and one of the key Uh, benefits for a founder is it means the investors have to get ordinary shares. They can't get preference shares. They can't get anti-dilution. They can't ask for a return of money later and all sorts of things that are really non-founder friendly. So your goal is to find angel investors yourself. And to do that, you want to make as much noise as possible. You want to be posting. You want to be telling people. You want to be getting out and meeting. You want to be at pitch events and so on. Now, some founders are well-connected and that works, sometimes not. And if that doesn't work, then of course you need help. So what can you do as an alternative? Well, the first thing is a crowd round. So a crowd round means one of the crowd platforms will help you find investors. You still generally need to find a third or sometimes even a half of all mm-hmm. the investment up front. So people often regard it as a marketing exercise. But I think, In deciding whether crowd platforms are good for you, um, one of the things that someone who's a data analyst who's looked at this has told me is one of the signals that indicates a successful crowdfunding campaign is how socially connected the founders are. So if you're someone who sits at home and does algorithms and never talks to anyone else, you're probably not the right guy or girl to be doing a crowd round. On the other hand, if you've got some party proposition and you've got a huge network. That's the kind of thing that, you know, so if you know how to work a crowd, crowdfunding may be for you. The next alternative might be to use uh, someone like Angel Investment Network or Angel's Den or something like that, who will then help you find. Of course, there's a cost of capital. There's some fee associated with it. So if you can avoid that by finding people yourself, that's great. But, of course, that only works. If you can, otherwise that would be your next step. And on Seed Legals in our resource section there's a whole set of uh, lists of investors and how to create a great pitch deck. So you'll find lots of free resource on the Seed Legal site.
0: I don't want to plug for you but you do some cool webinars as well.
1: Oh thank you. No worries. Thanks. All
0: right look Anthony it's been amazing having you on here and I there, there was some stuff in there that particularly your bit around building out the product and the strategy for doing that the really resonated. And I think there's some really advice there. And obviously the stuff around the leagues is great. I love the product. I love what you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.